0: Father, you have your hand on the destinies of all nations, and we would pray that you would help us to be full of understanding of what you're doing and how you're moving the chess pieces, so to speak, with these different countries, whether it be Iran or Russia or Turkey or the other Muslim countries. Help us to be attentive not only to your word, but what you say will take place in our future. And help us to be knowledgeable about this so that we can share with others, Lord. But in the meantime, here this morning, we pray that you would instruct us. We pray that you would fill us more of knowledge of Jesus, our Savior, and why he came and what was his purpose in dying and how you orchestrated all of that. Please help us to really apprehend the truths that are here in Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So we just covered the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is you're able to become a witness for Jesus, the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is being used by God to supply uh, or to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, and also the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Every every believer gets the Holy Spirit inside. He comes and lives in us when we are saved. That's for everyone. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not being slain in the Spirit. Being slain in the Spirit is is something that has been brought about by the doctrine of men. It is not in Scripture. I don't think it should ever be encouraged or practiced inside of a church where people claim that they're out of control. A couple of verses speak to that. One, uh, the spirit of self-control, we have that in the book of Galatians. And also... We have the idea that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the control of the prophets and so nobody would ever be out of control even when they're operating inside a particular gift. So I think we've established that. And then after explaining the phenomenon of tongues in verse 14, Peter was responding to the people and the people said, these people are drunk. They're speaking in these languages. And he said, they're not drunk as you suppose. And he goes on to explain to them that this is the Holy Spirit Now, in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, he goes on and he gives them a message. He has a sermon here. Now, I think the sermon was probably a little bit longer, but we have just enough to get us understanding of what was taking place here. Recall, they were in the upper room, cloven tongues of fire came down, were over their heads, they started speaking in tongues, they poured out into the street, about 120 disciples were there, and they... Spoken tongues, and everybody heard in their own language in this particular area. And verse 22 says, Men of Israel, listen to me. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. I'm just going to park here for a second. Signs, wonders, and miracles. Okay, what are these signs, wonders, and miracles? Well, God establishes his message through signs, wonders, and miracles. A message will come. And then a miracle will go after that or vice versa. A miracle takes place and then people are interested and they want to hear what you have to say. So that's the purpose of the signs, wonders, and miracles. And these are the things that follow apostles as well. In Second Corinthians 12, 12, it says, These things mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles. And they were done amongst the people with great perseverance. And so wherever the apostles will go, would go, just like Jesus, wherever he went... He would perform these miracles so that they might listen to what the word is. Now, just by extension, if we go back, Lord willing, to Florida, we want to do something for them so they will hear the word that we bring as well. If we go and we're just involved in a humanitarian endeavor, it really is fruitless. It, it, it promotes nothing as far as eternity is concerned. I once volunteered as a chaplain when there was a shooting uh, over at Santana over here. I don't know if you guys recall that. And there was also some times of disaster. And Mickey Stonier, who was at the seminary and went to Horizon Christian Fellowship, uh, he invited us to be part of the chaplaincy in the Red Cross. And so we, this one particular disaster, we went over to the gym uh, I think it was at Santana, and people were spending the night in there. And as a pastoral staff, you were supposed to just bring comfort and pray for them and give them spiritual guidance, that type of thing. But they made it clear, you are not to give the gospel. And I thought to myself, why am I even here? So I gave the gospel anyhow, and I didn't show up after that. But it, that's the purpose why we do the good works is so that they might listen to the message that we bring along with that. Also, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation of disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, and here's the key, which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So that's how God established what he's doing. He did it by announcing it. His prophets came, and then confirmed by the witnesses, those who heard the message, testified to it by signs, wonders, and miracles, and then he gave gifts of the Holy Spirit to everyone. That's how God worked. That's how he brought us the message through these apostles and through his disciples. And so a sign, a sign is a foreshadow, it's an incident of something that is going to take place in the future. If you can recall in the book of Genesis, remember Joseph. He had these two dreams. The first dream, and there was 12 children in all, and he was one of them. Well, he had this dream where there were sheaves of grain. A sheave of grain is where you stack the grain in, in a bundle. You tie it up and it just stands up straight. And he said in this dream that his sheave rose up and his brothers, who were 11 sheaves, bowed down. Of course, they hated him for this dream. And he goes, but wait, I had another dream as well. If we recall the other dream, the sun, moon, and stars all bowed down to him. And of course, that would be representative of his father and mother and brothers, even though his mother wasn't alive by the time they came to Egypt to buy some grain, if you remember the story there. And so he had these dreams, and that was to prepare him for what lied ahead and to establish it for his brothers. This was a sign given to him. He had two dreams that meant two different, or the same thing in two different ways. Same thing when he got out of prison. If we remember that, the Pharaoh had this dream about seven cows that were fat and then they became lean for seven years. And that was something that portended to that which was in the future. And Joseph was able to interpret that. And sure enough, it came to pass just as he said. Now, also, Jesus was talking with the leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they wanted a sign that Jesus was in fact the Messiah because they were rejecting him. In Matthew chapter 16 verse 4 it says a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign. But none will be given it except for the sign of Jonah. So Jonah being eaten by a fish and being burped up on the beach, that was a sign for them. And how long was he there? He was there for three days in the belly of the fish. It wasn't a well. I know that some people say, well, Jonah was swallowed by the whale. No, it was a fish. And then there's a debate. Well, did he die? Did he not die? And we can go all day on that. It really is not germane to what I'm talking about here. But it's the idea of a sign. You know, if you got eaten by a fish and were in there for three days, you think you're going to survive? I don't think so. But he was brought back to life. So that was a sign. And then there was Eli the priest. Now, Eli the priest in 1 Samuel chapter 2, it talks about his wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And his wicked sons were sleeping with women at the temple and they were taking pitchforks. They were supposed to take pitchforks into the offering and just grab whatever came out. But they were taking the choices meat, and they were just doing all kinds of things wrong. And a prophet came to Eli and said, because you have done this you're not going to have a generation that's going to grow to be old, that's going to serve in the priesthood from now on. And he said, Hophni and Phinehas are going to die on the same day. And that was a sign for him. It says that in scripture, it was a sign for him that these things were going to come to pass. And then for us, well, what are signs for us? We have been given signs of the second coming and the tribulation. Mark chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do we know of any wars going on? Of course we do. Do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. So the wars and rumors of wars, those are signs of things to come. And it's not just Ukraine and Russia. You know, Myanmar, I just saw a a picture of children going to school but they were in a trench and this trench was probably a hundred feet long. It's probably three foot deep and all the students, the young boys and girls, they were in the trench and the teacher was outside the trench because the army comes along and just randomly kills people. And so they wanted them protected in the trench if the army came along at a distance and started firing shots, the kids would be spared but the teacher is the only one that they could see and so nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom there will be earthquakes in various places and famines these are the beginning of birth pangs so the birth pangs are the signs for us that things are going to happen in the future what things the great tribulation and we're in that time of the birth pangs now how long do the birth pangs last well it depends on the woman right I've heard of, heard of women just like in a couple hours pop there it is the baby's out and then others it's like this is the second day you know when is this going to end so we don't know how long it's going to be but we do know it gets more and more intense and we can see it becoming more and more intense you know China with the South China Sea they're moving in there and the United States is going oh yeah and we're showing up with our ships over there and Russia going back and forth and NATO getting involved and it looks like they're starting to push Putin towards a nuclear confrontation I just saw one of his leaders say we need to have nuclear uh, limited nuclear strikes in Ukraine Uh, this is unacceptable and apparently Putin flew in all kinds of bombers into the area where they store their nuclear weapons and so where are we going with this? What is going to happen? It is either going to escalate or it's going to calm down. It's anybody's guess, prognostication, what is going to happen there. But do not be alarmed. These things must happen and they are birth pain. So those are signs for us. Now what about miracles? So many miracles in scripture. How about if a man is born blind? In John chapter 9 verses 1 through 7, this guy was born blind. And I don't know if you've, you probably have seen a person who has been born blind. Usually the eyes don't fully develop and there's a little bit of depression around the eye sockets of somebody who is born blind and the the eyes, they're, they're not fully formed. They're not clear, that type of thing. And so Jesus shows up and he's there and you know the story, you're spitting your eye and he spit on the ground. He made some mud. It's hard for me to imagine Jesus spitting on the ground. Watch this, Peter. Spits on the ground, picks it up, mixes it a little bit, or he mixes it on the ground, picks it up and says, here's mud in your eye, and he puts it in the eyes of the blind guy. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get a speck of dirt in my eye, it's like, how do I get this thing out? And I'm I'm just, you know, washing it and doing everything I can. And so he rubs it in there. Now, I don't know if he rubbed it on the eyes or over the eyes. I'm sure the disciples are going, what are you doing? You know, the people are going, oh, why are you putting mud in his eye? And he goes, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam, he sent, see, he goes over to the pool of Siloam, washes, and all of a sudden, he can see. What should we do for eye ailments? Put dirt in your eye. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. Jesus performed a miracle here. This is a bona fide miracle. And some people say, well, it was an instant. He had to go watch. I'm, I'm sorry. It's within a five-minute period. The guy, it's pretty much instant that he can see. Or what about the paralytic in Mark chapter 2 that was dropped through the roof of the house? Now, a paralytic. This is somebody who is probably in the fetal position on a mat and he cannot move. He cannot transport himself. And Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. Your sins are forgiven. And of course he goes, okay. And he gets right up. He, he's been like that for who knows how long. Maybe from birth. I I forget the particular story if, if it was from birth or an accident happened to him. All we know was he was a paraplegic or a, a paralytic, I should say. And he gets up and he walks away. Now, if you saw somebody do that, you would say, it's a miracle. That is a miracle that somebody who was paralytic gets up and walks. Or what about Lazarus? Lord, he stinketh for three days in the tomb. Jesus shows up and he goes, Lazarus, come forth. Now, he had to use the name Lazarus. Otherwise, everybody would have come forth. So he just says, Lazarus, come forth. And so he comes out and he's all tied up in the bandages. Not the bandages, but the wrappings of somebody who had died. And they release him. And that was a miracle too. And the Pharisees could not counteract that. What are we going to do? So they made a plot to kill Lazarus and Jesus. Because they can't have him being a witness out there. What about Jairus' daughter? Jairus' daughter... She was sick unto death. She died. And Jesus shows up and says, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And they laughed at Jesus to scorn. Now, I could just imagine Jesus just looks at them and goes, oh, yeah? And he goes in. She gets up. And she's totally fine after that. So they would have testified that she is dead. And he raised her from the dead. Now, I would have liked to have been here for this next one. Exodus. Exodus. Remember Exodus, they got to the Red Sea and there's this pillar of fire on one side keeping the Egyptian army away from the Jews and on the Jews' side, it's a pillar of light. Fire on one side, light on the other side. They're up against the Red Sea and all of a sudden, the water in the Red Sea, this is Cecil B. DeMille, I think he did a great job on this part of it, not so much the rest of it, but this part, where the water just forms a wall on either side and they walk through and you could go up and you could put your hand in the water. You could probably see fish going by and it's just a wall and there's no glass there whatsoever. And the dirt was so dry, the bottom of the Red Sea is so dry, they're choking on the dust. And, but they could take the water, scoop it in their face. That's a wall on either side. I would have loved to have seen something like that. What a miracle that would have been. And you know, the movies or the television programs, they depict it as... The wind blew all night and blew the water away. No, it was a wall. You can't get any kind of wind to make a wall out of water. There's, there's no way, unless it's a wave and it's going to crash. But a million people probably went through that. Million to three million. They don't know how many exactly went through there. But there's a lot of people going through there with this wall of water. And then how about this? An axe head that floats. When was the last time you saw metal or iron float? Take a hammer, throw it in your pool. Take a hammer, throw it in the ocean. It's going to sink right down to the bottom. There's only one time that I have seen iron float. And there is a case to be made for that. That's when you, I saw this anvil, an iron anvil. That weighs hundreds of pounds, right? And you take that and you put it in a, vat of mercury. Mercury is more dense than iron, and that thing will float like a ship, and it's hard to believe. You can look it up online just to verify that. But there's this idea in Second Kings chapter 6, where there are these company of the prophets, and they're with Elisha. And they said, the place that we're meeting is just too small. We need to go somewhere else. So they decided to go down by the River Jordan, and they're going to cut down some trees, and they're going to kind of make a shelter for them to meet with Elisha on the inside. And this guy's cutting down a tree and the axe head falls off and goes into the river Jordan. And the guy goes, one of the prophets, the company of the prophets, goes to Elisha and says, what am I supposed to do? The axe head was borrowed. It is not even mine and now it's in the water. So what does Elisha do? He grabs a stick, throws a stick in the water and up floats the iron axe head. And it floats on top of the water. And that would be a miracle. So these or biblically speaking, a miracle or miracles that would take place. And then there's wonder, signs, wonders, and miracles. The wonders are something in which you would marvel or you would get excited and just be in awe over what's taking place. It would be an amazing event and and something that would just be spectacular. There could be signs in the heavens, so to speak. I can remember over a decade ago there was some comet that went by and you could see it at about four or five o'clock in the morning. And one morning I got up and I saw the comet out there and I just thought that thing is amazing to see. And it was full on plume that was out there at about four o'clock in the morning. And I just had to stand there and just look at that thing. Well, what if there's some other event in the heavens? You'd, You'd be in wonder and amazement. About that, you just go, "Wow, that is incredible," or like the long day of Joshua. You you would look at that and go, "How is it like another full day? It's just been sunshine the whole time, or the the sun moving backwards and going forward." You'd look at that and go, "What does this mean? How is this possible that this would take place?" And so that is a wonder. Now, Gabriel, when he announced to Mary that she would become pregnant. She wondered, how is this going to happen? How am I going to become pregnant when I've never known a man? That's a wonder. You're kind of in awe, maybe excited, like, oh, wow, this is is really unusual. Or Zechariah. Remember Zechariah? He was uh, doing the rotation. The Levites would go into the temple, and they'd change out the bread. They'd make sure that the candle was fully stocked with the candle stand or the uh, the light stand was fully stocked with oil and remained lit and the altar of incense they would tend to the things and and Zachariah did that and he's tending to probably the altar of incense in there and all of a sudden an angel appears next to the altar of incense on the right hand side it would have been next to the showbread right there and of course he freaks out he goes oh don't worry about it it's okay your wife who is really old is going to be pregnant he goes yeah really and he just couldn't believe it and he goes yep this is going to happen and he says because you didn't believe it this is what's going to take place you're not going to be able to speak and once the baby was born of course she became pregnant once the baby was born they were going to name him Zachariah after his father and the mother said no because he was told it was supposed to be John and the mother said no it's going to be John and then they motioned to Zachariah now I don't know why they'd have to motion to Zachariah that's what the scripture says because I think he was only mute I don't think he was deaf but they were signing to him in some way, like, what should his name be? And they handed him a tablet, and he wrote on the tablet, his name is John. And immediately he could speak. And so the people are going, whoa, what was all this about? And he probably told them the story. There was an angel in there, and he said, you're not going to speak because they didn't believe, but now we have this child. So these are wonders, these things that cause you to step back and just go, wow, this this is really unusual. Now, some people... In order to believe, they would request a sign. And I already told you, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign. And they say that that's the only way I'm going to believe. That is, if you do or have God do something. In other words, he needs to be my servant and do what I want at my request. And then I'll go ahead and believe in him after that. And if you remember, Abraham speaking to the rich man in Luke chapter 16, this is the part of scripture that deals with Abraham's bosom. Lazarus, the poor man, the rich man was there. The rich man had comfort in this life. When he died, he went to the grave and he was in very much discomfort. But Lazarus, the poor man, was in Abraham's bosom and he was comforted. And then the rich man said, you know, send Lazarus back that my family would understand. And Abraham, if you know the story, responded by saying, even if somebody rose from the dead, came back and gave them the gospel, they would still not believe. He said, if they did not believe, he said, if you did not believe Moses and the prophets, he wouldn't believe even if there was a miracle that took place. And so miracles, signs, and wonders are given so that people might be established in the message that is given. During this time, they didn't have the full revelation of God. We got it completed or established by the church that it was completed in 325 A.D. in the Council of Nicaea. The letters were already circulating amongst the churches at that time. In the Old Testament, same thing. The prophets came along because not everything was written, and they would establish their word by miracles. We now have a full, unadulterated accounting of God and Jesus and the plan of salvation, the fall of uh, mankind, the salvation that awaits all of us, the ultimate glorification. We have the full story. If people don't want to believe the story, they wouldn't believe if somebody came back from the dead. That's why we're supposed to give the word. We're supposed to give the message. We're not supposed to perform miracles. And there are churches that do that. You know, They show up and they want to have the miracles take place and they're all into that. But God said, no, it's the word. Remember when it came to the speaking in tongues in the book of 1 Corinthians? Everybody wanted to speak in tongues. And Paul said, no, I would rather prophesy. I would rather give you the word than have some miraculous gift in operation because that's actually what changes lives. So we have the full revelation of God that reveals his plan of salvation, the fall of man, the ultimate glorification, all of that. But there is one who will come along, along with his henchmen, Satan, who will try to establish his message through signs, wonders, and miracles. This is coming in the future. And he's going to try to use God's method of testifying to what he says by doing miracles. And he told us ahead of time that this is going to take place. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. This is repeated in Mark chapter 13, verse 22. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So if somebody is saved, they're going to know that this is not accurate. This is not true. The veracity of it is suspect. It is something that would lead people astray. But those people who do not have Christ will easily be led astray by these miracles. You know, um, in Egypt, when Moses was there, the Egyptians were able to copycat some of the miracles that were performed, like the turning the stick or the staff into a snake you know we know that uh, it is believed it was Janus and Jambres we don't know if that's for sure or not but they would lay these rods down they turned into a snake Moses' staff turned into a snake his staff ate the other staff and turned back into a staff so to speak and and the enemy Satan can't perform miracles even Satan himself will appear to be resurrected from the dead he's going to receive a mortal wound to the head in our day and age that would probably be an assassination with a rifle and it, he gets killed and resurrected from the dead, or I should say, resuscitated from the dead. And so these false Christs will appear. Now, how do you judge whether or not these miracles are from God or not from God? Because they're going to take place. The only way to tell is by the word. What is the message that they're speaking after these miracles take place? Or what is the message they're speaking before these miracles take place you have to weigh it by the word if we don't weigh it by the word we're only going to be deceived anyone will be deceived if that's the case because these miracles will be fantastic miracles they will probably exceed anything that was written about in the bible so that's how we would recognize the falsehood is by the scripture now In history, there have been a couple examples of miracles, quote-unquote, that have taken place. Two of them, and I have to tread kind of lightly here because I know that uh, as this message goes out, people might get upset that I even mention these two things in this context. But Magigori and Fatima, I don't know if you're familiar with those miracles. You can read up on them a little bit if you combine the two. Uh, there were miracles where an angel shows up preparing the way for the quote unquote Virgin Mary to show up. And these children, at least uh, three of these children at Fatima, they were given and their names were Lucy, Francisco and Jacinta. They saw the Virgin Mary. They saw this angel. Nobody else did, but they would all respond uh, to this apparition that was there. I, Can remember decades ago seeing a film about this where they were just standing there and they were responding like in unison to whatever was there. Nobody else could see it. It was supposed to be the Virgin Mary and they were supposed to have received the host and communion from the Virgin that was there and just a lot of things were taking place. And so, what was the message or the messages from these two events that took place, the and Fatima? Well, The Virgin Mary pointed to the Mass, that the Mass must never end. And in the Mass, what happens is Christ is, quote-unquote, crucified over and over again. And the Eucharist, or the bread, turns into the body of Christ. And that's the grace of God being given over and over and over again. And nobody has to be present. The priest can do it himself. Well, that was one of the messages that came out of Fatima. Just don't forsake the Mass. It needs to continue in perpetual or in perpetuity, and then honoring the Sacred Heart of Mary. And if you get into that, Pope John II, he, he really, uh, really placed that out there for Catholics to hold to that. And then praying the rosary. Uh, I know that scripture says that we're not supposed to pray in vain repetition. In the actual Greek, what that means is uh, muttering and sputtering when you pray, it's not just saying the same words over and over but the same same instruction would apply where you just think it because of your many words you're going to be heard and it's not and that kind of goes against what scripture has to say but I want to read to you at least from Fatima.org, what they said you're supposed to pay attention to that the Virgin Mary instructed these kids. It says, Before Our Lady appeared to the three shepherd children, Lucy, Francisco, and Jacinta, an angel of peace visited them. The angel prepared the children to receive the Blessed Virgin Mary, and his instructions are an important aspect of the message that is often overlooked. The children were also told to pray and sacrifice themselves for sinners in order to save them from hell. Wait, I I can sacrifice myself for sinners in order to save them from hell? That's not what Scripture has to say. The children were briefly shown a vision of hell, after which Our Lady told them, You are... You have seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wishes to establish in the world devotion to my immaculate heart. If what I say to you is done, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. And so they were saying in Fatima that everyone is supposed to give attention to Mary, not to Jesus. I am confident that Mary would say, oh, no, Jesus is the Savior. Pay no attention to me whatsoever. You know, and I believe she is the most blessed woman on the face of the earth. No question about it. I don't want to diss on Mary. Mary is a, a wonderful saint. I believe that she is going to be blessed beyond all women over all time. I, I just want to establish that. But to say we're supposed to turn our attention to Mary, that would go against what Scripture has to say. That's why I have a problem with the Catholic Church. Even though they teach the fundamentals of the Catholic faith, they also teach that there's a works gospel involved in that where people have to sacrifice themselves for the sake of the dead and and that they'll get out of hell or they'll be saved from hell. and, And That's just ridiculous as far as Scripture is concerned. And so I would stand up against that that this is false doctrine, even though it may have been a miracle. And I remember reading years ago, and I don't want to go too far down this road because I don't remember exactly what happened, but it's like the sun came close to the earth and it had rained and everything dried up and the sun went back and it was witnessed by thousands of people. It could have been a miracle like that, quote unquote, but it's the message that is important. What does the word have to say? And this is why we need to know the word. If we don't know the word... We're going to be taken astray. We're going to be moved down the road and go in a different direction. We're going to start adding works to the gospel. And Paul said, if anybody adds works to the gospel, I'm paraphrasing here, let them be accursed. And so he was just staunch. And he even said, if somebody else, if I even show up and give you a different gospel, don't listen to me. He says, this is what the gospel is, but you have to know the word. Now, I've given this to you in the past, but for those who haven't heard it before, Every church that we go to uses four methods to determine how they operate as a church. And I happened to get this book from uh, Dr. Donald Thorson. He was my theology teacher in seminary. The greatest class I was ever in. He had parts one and two in theology. It was just great. And he wrote this book. And the book is called The Wesleyan Quadrilateral. And he said that there are these four things. And he goes, all churches use them. It's just what order they put them in. And these four things are Scripture, reason, experience, and tradition. Now, there are churches that hold Scripture up as number one. This is one of them. We're not the only one that does that, but I think most all Calvary chapels do that. Scripture is number one. Reason is number two. If you can't reason through the scriptures, what profit is there and reason is very important. And I think it's more important than experience because you can have some experience that's not in scripture, but scripture would say, no, that's not the way to go like the slain in the spirit. That's how you know it's not a biblical doctrine because it's not in the scripture. You reason back through the scripture and go, oh, yeah, this experience was really not of God. It was either myself or it was inspired by the enemy. And then there's tradition. We've always done it that way. And that's the way we're going to do it now because it's what works. It's like a pragmatic view. Now, which churches do that? I said, the scripture churches, we are one of them. There are several good churches out there that that teach scripture. And then there's reason. I think the reformed churches use reason a lot over scripture. Like, for instance, their doctrine of double predestination. They believe that people are born to go to hell, that there's no chance whatsoever that they can be saved. God has destined them for the lake of fire. No chance. I don't believe that. But they do that through reason. And they twist the scripture. Like for instance John 3.16 when you say For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well they don't look at it like that. They say for God so loved the elect that he gave his only begotten son. And there's other scriptures that are twisted like that. And so they're using their reasoning over this scripture, And then there are those like the Assembly of God churches that use experience. Oh, God was moving. He poured out his spirit. Yeah, but this was, this was a little bit off. Everyone was speaking in tongues at once. First Corinthians chapter 12 says, don't be doing that. Don't get involved in that type of activity. But they would say, no, but it's new revelation to us. No, five times in scripture, God says, do not add to my word or take away from it. And so that's how we know that we're supposed to stick to what it says in the Bible. And then tradition, Catholic churches, Orthodox churches. It's the way we've always done it. And that's the way it's going to be now. And tradition, and the Pope speaking, quote-unquote, ex cathedra, which means that's the same as Scripture, so the Pope can change what proper doctrine is. And I would reject that as well. So my particular way of... uh, Interpreting it here the way I would do it is scripture, reason, experience, even over tradition. I hate myself if I hear, we've always done it that way. Let's break it just because of that. You know, I I don't want to get in that rut and, and just stay in that forever. If God wants to do something new in the way of our methods, we'll change the methods. It's the message that remains the same. Now going on. I'd like to digress and go back to verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you know, or you yourselves know. The man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So much that is right here, but it was the father's plan always to have Jesus be crucified in a brutal sentence and suffer the agony of death, but he would not be condemned to hell. And he would rise from the grave again. This is the story of how the church got started. People understanding what was actually taking place. And the wicked men that helped in this would have been Annas and Caiaphas, the two high priests at the time. If you remember, Anna, Annas was deposed by the Romans. He was still a high priest, but Caiaphas' his son-in-law was put in his place and they were both corrupt. And so he goes on in here, and there's proof even from the Old Testament that Peter talks about that Jesus would rise from the dead. Verse 25, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Of course, this is referring to Jesus. David, who was a prophet, was accounted as a prophet, said, he would not see, his body, the Messiah's body would not see decay. You have made known to me the paths of lives and you will find me with joy in your presence. Now I'll end up closing it with this, this little section right here because we're running out of time and we need to receive communion. But it says in verse 28, the second half, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Psalm 16 verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And that is what is being quoted in Acts chapter 2. It says, You have made known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This idea of pleasures, it's things that are delightful, sweet, Or pleasant, so Jesus is going to have all those things, and so were we. That which is sweet, delightful, or present, and there will be an endless supply of those things which are pleasant, sweet, and delightful. Now, occasionally we have things that are full of pleasure and sweet, like donuts, and it just—it's a delightful experience, right? But those come and go. Most of the time, it's aches and pains and getting up and work and accidents and that, that's just part of life is what we go through and there is going to be an eternity of delight now I know scripture says in the book of revelation that God in revelation chapter 21 God will wipe away every tear and that's because of the death and the mourning and the, the weeping the sorrow that is going to be done away with here. But I want to ask you a question. Do you think that there will be tears of joy, tears of delight? You know, I I went back this morning. I had seen these previously. And I just love some of these things, like the little children before they can speak, babies, and how they give them glasses. I don't know if you've seen those videos, but the, the children have really bad eyes. And then the parents come with the glasses. And they put the glasses on the little baby. And the baby, you know, first resists. And then once they start to focus, then they see mama's face and mama talking to them. And their face just lights up. And they, they start looking all around. They can't speak yet. But they start looking all around. And the mom gets all excited. And she starts choking up a little bit. And you see that? I, and I'm just filled with delight and joy to see the joy of the little infant which is there that that's one of them then there is the oh this one this is I guess it's a tiktok video but I've seen it elsewhere I don't have tiktok this guy he's on a beach and it's cold And his girlfriend is with him, and she has a blanket, and they're on the sand. They're both barefoot. He's in shorts and a t-shirt, and she has this blanket around her. And the guy, he pulls out a ring, and he starts to go down. And what does she do? She just starts jumping as high as she possibly can. She doesn't stop. It's like 15 times. She's just jumping. And he starts going go down on one knee. She gets down with him like she's going down like this. And then she starts jumping again. And I'm just filled with joy for her because of her delight of what's taking place. And I'm just going, wow, that is fantastic. But then you turn to... And a couple of times this has happened where a young boy, uh, the one that I saw, 10 or 12 years old, is colorblind, severely colorblind. And they give them those special glasses where they can see the colors for the first time in their lives. And you you see the kids that what they do is they, they go like this and they go. And they're looking. And then they look all around. And usually when that's done, they have colorful balloons. And and I saw one where a woman was dressed in a very colorful skirt. And and he's looking at it like that. And he's he's just amazed. His mouth opens up. A couple of these are on the Internet. And then he starts to weep. He starts to weep because of the colors that he sees and how wonderful it is. It just breaks my heart that he, he hasn't seen these things up to then, but he's filled with joy so much that he has overcome. And I saw another one where the boy did that, and he turns around and he sees his father, and he just embraces his father, and he starts crying. He starts weeping. And then the father starts weeping. And you're going, okay, i got to turn this off. This is not good. And, and then the last one that I've told you guys about before... And if you haven't seen these, you have to go to them. You have to see it. It's where somebody who's completely deaf gets the cochlear implant, and they turn the sound on, and they all just start weeping because they can hear. Now, those bring tears of delight. That's what's in store for us. There won't be tears of sorrow, mourning, and death but I believe there will be tears of delight. Now, as we continue next week into this message, we're going to see the full impact of what the Jews did and how they're suffering under that. But we're going to receive communion to remember this act that Jesus had done for us in order that we might have salvation, that we, with the rest of humanity, would not be condemned forever to hell. And he provided us a way of salvation that is going to be full of delight and sweetness. So Kim is going to come up. She is going to uh, play a song. As that song is being played, you know, just call out to the Lord. If you need to ask forgiveness for sins this last week, do that. He is faithful and just to forgive us. And we will celebrate the fact that He was willing to go to the cross and die for us. Now, what we're going to do, I think you guys know the routine. Ushers will come up and they'll separate these things up here. And you just come up through the center aisle and go back to your seat. And please hold on to it until we can participate in receiving it together.